what we're emphasizing as we proceed through uh, Nehemiah 9 is that God is the most God-centered person there is in all the universe. Now, that, that, that's not surprising. But we know that. And we know that God's chief end is to glorify God and His glory forever. <laughs> God's chief end is to glorify... <laughs> you notice the difference there, right? Very good, Barb. Because <laughs> that could sound like what we always talk about, right? But uh, ultimately, that's, that's really about... It's, it's, um, it's about God-centeredness. God loves His more glo- glory more than anything. And yet, that's the very foundation that He has love for us is because of uh, His own glory. God uh, performs salvation for His own sake. And uh, so that's where we, we come into play. But it's, it's always about uh, Him. We know, why did God predestine us in love to be His sons? Well, Ephesians 1, 6, uh, 1, 12, 1, 14, that the glory of His grace might be praised. The glory of His grace. Why did God create a people for Himself? He says in Isaiah 43, 7, I created them for My glory. My glory, God says. Why did He make one lump vessels of honor and uh, others vessels of dishonor? That He would show His wrath and make known His power and reveal the riches of His glory for the vessels of mercy. Romans 9. Why did God raise up Pharaoh and harden his heart and deliver Israel with a mighty arm? Why did God do that? that His wonders would be multiplied over Pharaoh, Exodus 14. Trying to get a high view of God here. We can never get enough. We can't ever get to the peak of the glory of God. Um, That His name would be declared over all the earth, Exodus 9.16. The fundamental allegiance is His glory. That's that's the fundamental allegiance that God has is His glory. Salvation is primarily to glorify God. God gets the glory. So the, the point out of all of this in this uh, Nehemiah 9 um, is that look at the grace. There, there's the light. It came on. See how long it lasts. <laughs> Nehemiah 9. And actually, if you want to look at the very last part of Nehemiah, or right near the end, this kind of sums it up. Verse 32. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness. There you have great God, mighty God, the awesome God. I mean, how many superlatives can we come up with here? And I, I think as it's written here, as Nehemiah brings this forth, and it's Ezra's prayer um, that we have here, you, you, you look at this and he gets about as close as you can to getting to ultimate praise and yet it still is lacking. <laughs> you know, we have, we're humans and we use a human language to try to express this and we're not glorified saints yet we're saints and we, we lack that ultimate way to give Him glory but this comes awfully close this, <laughs> this is really good at least for humans uh, so Nehemiah 9 in this 
prayer uh, that deals with um, definitely repentance, but really it's about the glory of God. I mean, the awesomeness, His forgiveness, and just His loving kindness. I think in verse 17 we'll be looking at, but you are a God of forgiveness. Key verse, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. That pretty well sums up this chapter in what the Israelites did. Now, here are here's how we have arrived here. About 445 B.C., Nehemiah comes from Persia, comes to Jerusalem, gets the people to rebuild the walls. There's tremendous opposition, right? As they build the walls. The wall is completed at the end of chapter 6. Chapter 7 is basically a long list of names. It's a genealogy of those who had come back to Jerusalem in the first group with the Zerubbabel. And then there's some other ones uh, listed. And then in chapter 8, you get that key chapter, I think, of all of Nehemiah because it is the diving board for everything else to follow. And that being joy and that being repentance and obedience and um, seeing God's worship. I think that's what we were talking about. That This this is this spawns off uh, and spins off the, the worship that, uh, that they have. It's near the end of September. Uh, people gather. They ask Ezra to read this book of the Law of Moses. They've neglected it for a long time. Didn't really have access in some ways. This is the beginning of worship. And expository preaching is found in Nehemiah 8. It comes to a climax. This worship that they have is just awesome. It's just just tremendous. Nehemiah is not known as well as it should be. These should be upstanding uh, chapters of the Bible that should be standouts and, and yet I don't think it's it's known enough. But um, it climaxes after 24 days in chapter 9 verse 38 and it's dealing with the people wanting to renew uh, the covenant. Um, God is the covenant keeper. They're the covenant breakers as we are the covenant breakers. But God is the covenant keeper. Ezra reads the law the people are grieved, right? And that's where we were talking about in chapter 8 and then in chapter 9. What they do is they celebrate the Feast of Booths for seven days. We, we see that in chapter 8, so we covered that last week. And then they consecrate themselves with feasting and worshiping. God wants them to rejoice. It's a time of rejoicing. And uh, then we begin chapter 9, and that's what we did last week, uh, up to... Um, verse 16. Uh, in verse 5, we have a key verse there because it says, then, it says, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be the glorious name which is exalted above all blessings and praise. Blessed be the glorious name. He wants glory to be given to Him and in this chapter 9, stand out uh, with just great glory to God. And that's what Ezra's prayer does. It emphasizes here the glorious name of God. The glorious name. We we can't understand enough what glorious uh, the name that God has. So, um, His name would be so exalted, so lifted up, so high, 
so much blessing and praise can never be high enough to praise God. I wish there would be the ultimate that we could give. But we, we just keep stretching out. And the more we know Him, though, the more we love Him. And the more we love Him for who He is, not what we can get out of it, but for who He is. Not the benefits, but who He is. The more we do that, the more we love Him, the more the glory we will see of Him. The more that we can give of Him then, the more that we learn through His Word. So Ezra comes, I think, is about as close as a human can possibly come as he gives this great prayer here in in, in 9 and as he reviews the history of God and His covenant people and their failures and His glory in it. Um, He starts with creation. We saw that in verse 6 where he says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens. That's where everything starts. You look in the Psalms, look in Genesis. What's it? it starts with creation. This is the creation God. This is where you, um, where you start in evangelism to, to the Gentile person. You start with a creator God. Oh, isn't it isn't amazing? How, can, how else can you explain the planets? How else can you explain what's happening out here in creation, right? When, when you ask somebody that uh, would be an unbeliever, it's a good place to start. Because there's where they can see the power and the grace of God. They don't see it, and they don't want to see it. They anytime, cannot see it. Anytime there's any article, I, I read most of my news online, you know, Facebook, or what have you. But anytime there's any article having to do with, let's say, Ken Ham's art, or, or anything having to do with Bible, or or Divine foot in the door. Isn't that funny that he has to say that though? So what does that tell you? There's the witness. The witness is there anyway. Yeah. They better sit there and say you don't want to believe that though. Well, why was that even brought up? Because it points to that. Yeah. Um, the scientists explain how a caterpillar goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly in great detail and how um, evolution, how evolution could not possibly take place because um, to a decimal, like a thousand points past the decimal, everything has to be that accurate and that same <laughs> equation is used for everything else that's been created to like a perfection. And he says that there's no way that even evolution could take place with all the science in fact. Um, but they didn't credit God for it, 
because uh, I'm not really sure why. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. I saw that too. They stopped just short. No, it, was, it was right up to the yeah. mark. Everything was like, the first time I was watching it, I was thinking, are we going to start saying this is evolution? And then they turn and they say evolution is definitely not possible. And then they say, uh, it's like, you know, something has happened, there's a design, there's, there's, there's uh, equations, there's beginning to end, but they just didn't, they didn't glorify us. Outside of us, yeah. Yeah. yeah, something so bigger than we are. Well, Romans Romans one says uh, like the same thing. You, you had that there, Bob, and, and and it comes down to, and they did not glorify God. You know, well then I can understand this because that's where I was. I understand these people. You don't see because you can't see. You don't want to did you can you did, do you remember back in your mind a little bit did you suppress as like you really did believe that there had to be a creator but you tried to keep suppressing it you didn't even believe it at all not at all I did a lot of Easter stuff and I thought that's when we were headed we were all going to arrive this wonderful oneness everybody cured loving and it's so They think we're idiots, don't they? <laughs> That's hard to believe you came from there. But God changes the thinking, doesn't he? And he certainly did, didn't he? I mean, if somebody heard you saying what you're saying, I'd almost think they would be saying, there's no way that you were that way. <laughs> He's a witness of that, right? That's incredible. Glory to God. Yeah. Look what He's done. You see how
How can it's okay for him to quote scripture now? Why was that appropriate today to do that? The middle yes, of time to do that. He won't allow, but he won't allow us in school or any other time to use those things, that very same thing that he quoted to us today. He's a Christian. <laughs> yeah, but it was like that. But he did in public art. He might have offended somebody there. Right. Yeah, but it was the only thing that he could draw off of to try to give some kind of sense to why men and people are doing what they're doing. It's the only thing he could find that could give some kind of solution to how we need to get along with each other. And he quoted four or five different scriptures today trying to make some kind of sense for people. He had some other And as this, uh, as this chapter says, that uh, you alone are the Lord... You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and is all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. The one and only true God, the Creator God. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we thank You. What a great, awesome, glorious God we have, and You are exalted. Lord, we can't think of enough praise that would ever meet the equal to who you really are. But thank you for giving us some ideas through your word how great you are and of course we can use the, the highest of all language and always fall short. But we we think of you being the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness. And as we look at this section here tonight, may it expand our thoughts on this great, holy sovereign, awesome God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, uh, what you have... What you have is the power of the grace and the glory of God. And it goes all the way up to Nehemiah and Ezra's own day against the backdrop with all that glory that God has it's against the backdrop of the repeated failures of Israel as they trust as they're told to trust and obey and we see them not trusting and obeying much of the time verse 12 here's some of the things they did you guided them with pillars of fire and cloud verse 13 you gave them good statutes and commandments verse 15 you gave bread from heaven water from the rock told them to take the land, but in spite of all this, verse 16 then is seen where the people acted arrogantly. They became stubborn. They refused to listen. And they tried to go back to Egypt. <laughs> That's the kind of backdrop we're looking at. Uh, they, verse 17, they refused to listen. Did not remember your wondrous deeds in all of His creation and then bringing them into the covenant and giving them everything that they did when they were out in the wilderness and beyond that. You had performed all these among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. They wanted to go back back to Egypt. Mind you, Keith Green. Back to Egypt. So you want to go back to Egypt. And that can be sometimes what a Christian, believe it or not, will tend to. He'll go back to some of the things of the world that he's so familiar with rather than trusting God whenever it seems like uh, he's running out of grace. <laughs> oh, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Yes. 
when they got out in the wilderness that after they, matter of fact even on their way on out they were ready to go back they were at the river or at, uh, you know at the the, the uh, they were going to cross the Red Sea yes matter of fact that's what this whole chapter is about but they're identifying Ezra with who they are Cause, yeah, because they're, they're in a real fix here too. They still they have the walls built, but the enemies are still out there. That's the thing. The enemies didn't go away because they built the wall. Matter of fact, that's going to make them even more mad. But um, God's grace is inexhaustible, and that's the basis of our covenant. You'll, he will never run out of grace. The grace will always be there. So with with a God like this, there is hope. And this is where we can get our help. Always. Why would we go to anywhere else? We can get it from Him. Uh, and if we run out of hope, we stumble, or if we sin, we repent, He forgives. And we, we, we have to press in on the promises. That, that's what this is. This is really good news here. I mean, this is gospel stuff here in Nehemiah. Gospel is in the Old Testament, isn't it? The whole Bible is a gospel. Um, so we want to sink that into our brains. Before we move on in through this prayer, we want to press in on the promises that God has made for His people. So as we continue through this prayer, just, just think inexhaustible grace. Hey, we could have titled it that. Inexhaustible grace. Can't magnify it uh, enough. Not only did God not forsake them, because of their sin that they committed, He pursued them. That is unbelievable. Kind of reminds you of the book of Hosea. Remember Gomer? Hosea pursued her in her terrible sin. He pursued her with goodness and mercy again and again and again and again. And then, boom, it turns right back to us and we look at the mirror. The hound of heaven pursues us, doesn't it? When we forsake Him. But He doesn't forsake us. Um, so, we see that verse 17, they refused to listen, didn't remember His wondrous deeds, so they became stubborn, appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness. This is that verse I was telling you about gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He demonstrated that. And we can look at His people right there in the Old Testament. You did not forsake them. He had every right to forsake them. And He kept on. There's the hand of heaven. Uh, 18, And when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal. Here we go and said, This is your God who brought you from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. Great blasphemies. Now granted, God had to kill some of them. And there there were some that He took out. There were lessons that they needed to learn and that's how serious it was. And He did demonstrate His holiness too. Although mercy and grace and His love is exposed Amazingly. Verse 19, You, in your great compassion, after they made this calf, in your great compassion, did not forsake them in the wilderness. 
The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. There's provision. God saves them. He delivers them. Takes them out and gives them everything they need. He provides for them. He is the provider. The providing God. Everything that we ever need. He's the providing God. Um, That's verse uh, 19, right? Look at verse 20. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. The Spirit of God instructs the people who had really not much instruction before. Your manna did not withhold from their mouth. Okay, you have the Spirit of God. You have manna, which is physical food. So you have this, everything spiritual that they needed. Cloud by day, fire by night, the presence of God is there. That's representing God. And Spirit is there. So they have things spiritual. And then He says, I'll provide for you physically. I'll give you the manna. That was every day. They, they would never go hungry. And then He gave them water. So you, what are the necessities in life? Food, water, clothing, right? shelter. He gave them everything they needed. And of course, as Christians, we have to have the Spirit of God. He gave them all of that. Gave it to them. Indeed, verse uh, yeah. So, um, forty years kept on. Their clothes didn't even wear out. Shoes didn't wear out. Forty years. Bought a pair of shoes a year ago, and man, I really like those shoes. And I had to show Carolyn this morning that these shoes are so comfortable on me. It's the most comfortable pair of shoes I've had in a long time. My feet feet are not sore at the end of the day. Within a year, actually, it's been probably months, probably not even been a year, but the, the sewing, the stitching on the side was coming out. I said, Carolyn, look. And she says, my hands are too stiff. I can't sew that. She said, get Gorilla Blue. <laughs> so I'm going to be trying Gorilla Blue. Don't get Gorilla Blue. It's fan. I ruined a pair of shoes. Oh, you tried that so, Use some other kind of glue? Albert's shoe repair. Oh, this, Albert? I'd actually go there. Well, I, go with, I don't know, Albert. Yeah, he used to have a. This is what else. He used to have a shoe repair here in town, but where that deep clean laundry is, he brought shoes off there. They take them to Centralia, he fixes them and brings them back. Look for Albert. Yeah, I brought a pair of 16 year old shoes to him. I didn't know they still did that. Didn't know they had those. That deep clean laundry, just had one from Schmuck. Albert's getting business. He is getting commercial in a Bible study. Okay. So, he provided all that. Then he he has them go into the land and they conquer kingdoms. They enter the land. They possess the land. Uh, verse 21, indeed, 40 years you provided. There's a word for them in the wilderness. They were not in want. Their clothes didn't wear out, nor did their feet swell. Verse 22, you also gave them kingdoms and peoples and a lot of them to them as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. That was their land. The people were living there. And God said, that's it for you. I'm bringing in my people and we're going to conquer and and uh, they they will take over. One, and so these are the real people. One yeah. thing I have against this scenario here that all went through, Every one of them that came out of Egypt died except two. This sounds like they all made it. They didn't all make it. There was a whole bunch of descendants that made it. Well, I think that's the point. Yeah. Came out of Egypt died, and we because of their disobedience. Disobedience. Kind of overlooked here in this whole thing. He's telling the good side of the story. Yeah, that's probably did in uh, Jeremiah. He took all the history. 
to the other sons and basically slay them and all the ones who were really willing to repent after they had given children and their children were like, oh, because well, he said 70 years, he'll bring them back. And, you know, 70 years is like two generations. <laughs> So yeah, he works. He works through those chosen people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says in the, in Corinthians um, uh, chapter ten where it talks about uh, he had, uh, of course, Moses led them through, and uh, as they were baptized into Moses, and yet they were all slain out in in the wilderness. And uh, of course, um, Joshua goes in. He's commander, and he leads them in. And we know that. Uh, he was faithful, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's true. God uh, works through people. The disobedient didn't uh, didn't go, and and this I think it's magnified as we see God's grace and that He would still continue with these people, uh, and that goes to show you how faithful He is, because He could have just blown out the whole nation, started over again. Kind of like hope. Always hope. There's always hope. And God has His people. And of course, the, and, and He has a people to be a witness. That's what we're about. And we can offer the good news to those people that are so disobedient to God. Uh, we, I think uh, you take um, Joshua, for instance. I mean, that's a good example. Here's success. If you, if you take my word and you read it and you meditate upon it... And you understand that, live that out, you will have success. And, and so we have the good news of the grace of the glory of God. So, uh, anyway, uh, we we know that uh, says they, they enter, uh, they, their sons were numerous as the stars of heaven. Of course, the promise to Abram had been made, and there they are now. You brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. You gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured. And this is amazing what what they got whenever they went into the land. They captured fortified cities. They didn't start just with, with nothing and build from there. They had all that they needed. Look at the provisions. Fortified cities... A fertile land. Now this is Israel, right? They took possessions of houses, houses that were already built, full of every good thing. Houses with furniture and everything in it. Hewn cisterns. The cisterns were already made. All the things that you have to have. Vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees. And and it says, in abundance... This is what God blessed them with. He let them conquer the peoples to go in and He says, it's all yours. And vineyards and and farmlands and olive groves, they ate, were filled, and grew fat. I think that might be a problem there. I think that... 
probably physically, but also in a way. How would you like to be? What was that song? Fat baby. You remember that? Remember that song? Bob, Audrey, Amy Grant, Fat Baby. Yeah. yeah. I say Amy Grant. Everybody. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. But you get the idea. Fat baby. That's what uh, we are. We're we're fat in this land, and there's no muscle. And but anyway, they were filled. I mean, they had everything they needed, and they reveled. Look at this, though, verse twenty-five at the end of it. They reveled in your great goodness. I have to wonder how much that was because of their benefits they received, though. As soon as God doesn't give or test them for a while, then they do what? Rebel, turn against God. But there's something good in that—that that they reveled in His great goodness. They knew how great and good God is. That's the thing. What happens when he withdraws from some of the benefits? He's still great and good. Do we revel in him then, right? So you have your verse 26, and it's that three-letter word. And man, that's an ugly word. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you. That wasn't the first time, was it? And cast your law behind their backs. This is even worse. They killed your prophets who had admonished them. So as soon as he brings in true prophets speaking the word, and of course we have Isaiah and Jeremiah, and of course before that there were, uh, it was Elijah and Elisha, and then we get the prophets that we see who write in the Old Testament. They kept warning them. God was so good and so great and so merciful and so compassionate, so loving kind, that He gave them speakers that spoke His word directly. It was like God speaking. Because everything they spoke was directly from God, and it's written out so we can read it today, and it's word for it's from God, and so that is really something. And they would cast that law back, and then kill the prophets so that they might return to you. That was the reason the prophets did that to warn so that they return to God. When people return to God, when they have a revival, what does God do? He forgives them. So. They committed great blasphemies. Not just blasphemies, but great. has to be horrendous. The cycle goes on and on. He blesses them, they get comfortable, and they're disobedient. He blesses them again, delivers them, and everything's going on great, and they turn their back on Him again. I think there's a big blessing right there in those few verses for us. Yep, it's the mirror, isn't it? We look here in the United States and where we live and all the blessings we've got. Everything's going real good and I'm satisfied and happy. Uh, what's the next step in that? <laughs> God's uh, chastisement. And I think the church was at its healthiest early on, and this sounds terrible, but when they were martyrs, when they went through tribulation. Obedient, most glorious, most uh, progressive, and growing in countries where there's a lot of opposition. I read a story the other day about the church in this one place in China. Uh, the government took their building after a struggle, said, You can't have a church. Uh, they didn't have a building. That didn't stop them from meeting. But they met down by the river, and within about a year, their church was about three times as big as it was when they were meeting in the building. The government relented and gave them their 
building there. But they saw that it wouldn't do any good. They were, growing, they were growing under the opposition. We don't grow under our blessings. Very seldom. Well, you take like a John Bunyan. Uh, he was he he was doing the same thing. He was out in out in the woods, uh, and of course, people were meeting there. He wound up going to jail. But what came out as a result of that? That the great books that he wrote, especially Pilgrim's Progress, while he was in jail, and that was a great blessing. He, would, he didn't really get the people, although they did line up outside the jail, and he would he would preach inside the jail to them out there. So, <laughs> at any rate, God uh, is. Is he's trimming off fat when he does that, and I think that's what has happened to us for many, many decades now. We've become very fat, no muscle. I think one of the reasons why we don't prosper is because after the freedom is that we give much, we receive much, much is expected of us. I think when we receive those blessings instead of giving those blessings back. Receive more blessings, not for the sake of blessings, but for the sake of God's glory. Um, and you continue to receive, and you continue to give, so that humble is that meekness in that giving of what you have. And so you're kind of always at a uh, kind of a suffering because you always have less than what you really have, but you always have more because God is only giving you and you never really run out. That's one thing I've experienced in the national scene. We were giving a lot, and we give a lot, and sometimes it seems like we get so much, we have so little, but then it's like, we take a step back and we look back and say, well, we've never really run out. We've never really run out of food, we've never run out of time with each other, we've never run out of things. We just sometimes feel, you know, short, we come up a little short, and uh, then those moments we really make it do those moments where it's like, the reason, one of the reasons the church in this country is not growing is uh, everything that I need has been provided. I, I'm not even going for anything. I have all that I need. Uh, but the sinner across the street has the exact same thing. They don't look at my life as any more blessed than theirs. Uh, I've got neighbors that have never gone to church that I know of. And they've got a car that's better than mine. They've got a house that looks just almost like mine. They, they, their lawns mowed every week. They're everything. They've got food on the table. Why should they want what I've got when they've got just exactly the same thing that I've got? They don't really have a need, do they? They don't have a need. If we got down to where everything we have was taken away from us, <laughs> and we were living on the street by faith and trust in God, uh, I think our witness, as it is in many of the countries in the world, would be a lot more powerful and would affect a lot more people than our witness today does. Yeah. That's why uh, God has used that through the years. The thing is you have, if you really inside their life, you find out they know there's something they're lacking and they keep looking for it. Well, they can ignore that. Yes. <laughs> they can ignore that. Put it back in the mouth. 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 Put it back in the mouth
and you had to sit at home and do nothing. You didn't have a television to watch to entertain you. You sit there and do nothing. You'd, you'd find out before very long the emptiness that there was. And I've heard somebody say that if it wasn't for our toys, it would go crazy. Even if we got our Bibles taken away. Now that that is the thing that I want the most and the thing is then how much have I retained in here because that has happened through history and it happens now in our time doesn't it what would we do think on these things that's why it is so good to store scripture in our minds and to draw upon that because there might be a time when we may not have all the Bibles that we have the opportunity that we have now get it now into the minds because later we may not get to yeah, you guys, you young guys, get it into your minds now because they're stay. And I, I can't get anything to stay in my mind. I can't identify with that ball. <laughs> 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 I mean, if you're brought up memory with scripture, it's like. I started playing clarinet at a really young age. I picked up bassoon in college. I put them both away for 25 years. I could pull the clarinet out and play it just like I always had. I couldn't remember anything about the bassoon. The older you are, the harder it is to learn it. So learn it. Yeah, that's true. That's good advice. <laughs> Constantly teaching the Word. That's Deuteronomy 6 right there, isn't it? Verse 27, Therefore, look at this, whenever they committed the blasphemies and did what they did in disobedience and rebellion, therefore you delivered them into the hand of their oppressors. This is, and this is a good, great God. That He would deliver... You know. What good is a father who doesn't discipline, right? But he delivered them into the hand of the oppressors, into the very enemies of them who were not believers in God. That's what God did. We know about that all through the prophet section. Maybe that's what's happening. That's that's a good way to put it. It sure is. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, they finally realized where they were at. That's where He wants us. You heard from heaven, and according to your great compassion, isn't this great praise? Your great compassion. You gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. The judges. He raised them up. And boy, in the book book of Judges, they're just in and out. Real quick. It, you, know, and it, you know, he gives them crops and they blow it again and then he lets the enemy come in and just strip their, their crops. Everything they have. And and then they repent and then he comes in and restores them. And this, it's just... It's, it's endless. So, as soon as they had rest... Look at this. Here it is. I, I've got this underlined here. As soon as they had rest, what did they do? They did evil again before you. 
Therefore you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. That's interesting, isn't it? As soon as they had rest, ah, relax. See, the, the battle is never over, is it? The war is always on. We really don't rest. Now, we rest in the Lord. That is our Sabbath rest. We rest in Christ. And we draw from that. Physically, it sure is good to have some rest to restore ourselves. It's nice to have some rest at night, isn't it? You get up in the morning, you're ready to go. When they cried again to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you rescued them according to your compassion. I don't even know if we can count. It's just, as a matter of fact, he doesn't even there. He just says many. I don't know how many that is. It's just over and over and over and over and over. It seems like it's endless. According to your compassion. God is the God of compassion. That's an attribute of Him. That is who He is. That's His nature. He admonished them in order to turn them back to your law. That's the idea of discipline. So that they would turn back to God. And yet they acted arrogantly, there's that word again, and did not listen to you, your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances. Ordinances, command, that's the word of God. But by which if a man observes them, he shall live. There we go. To trust in God, to obey, you have life. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen. Remember in the book of Acts, Stephen, and he called them a what? A stiff-necked people? They stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your Spirit through your prophets, God's Spirit speaking through them, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, (laughs) in your great compassion, he amplifies that, look how merciful it is. Do you know of any human being that would ever go this far? Do you remember Jesus said 70 times 7? And you go, oh, that's 490. I can do that. Once I've done 491, then that's it. No, it means what? He never stopped with it. God has never stopped with His compassion uh, for, for His people. Uh, great compassion. You did not make an end of them or forsake them. That's unbelievable. I don't know of any other person, human being, that has ever done it like this. Of course they're not. Couldn't. For you are a gracious and compassionate God. Does that need to be said again? <laughs> always. Always. Preach the Gospel to ourselves, right? Now, therefore, our God, and look at this amplification, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness. Here we are. He made a promise. He made promises. He made a covenant with His people. And that unconditional covenant will never be broken by God. Do not let all the hardship seem insignificant before you, which is called upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us. Everything you've done, God, you are just and righteous in what you did. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. You kept coming back to us 
You kept faith on your covenant and we acted wickedly. This is in Ezra and Nehemiah's time now. They're advancing this up to their time and they're putting themselves right there with them. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law. This is repentance, isn't it? He's come all the way full circle up there and says, we've done the same thing as our fathers and we didn't keep the law or paid attention to your commandment, your admonitions with which you have admonished them. But they, in their own kingdom, with your great goodness, which you gave them, with the broad and rich land which you set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. And he says, because of that, behold, we are slaves today. So, And this is Ezra Nehemiah's time. We're slaves here. You remember, where did Nehemiah come from? Persia. The palace in Persia. They were servants. They were slaves really underneath them, as well as all the other nations. This is one ruling empire, basically. And he says, here is where we are at. We are slaves. We're slaves today. And as to the lamb which you gave to our fathers to eat of the fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. Yeah, it's our land, but there are people surrounding us. They could attack us any day. At least they have walls. Behold, we are slaves in it. Christ came to us as we were slaves of Satan. Slaves of the world. He bought us out. That means to redeem. We were in bondage. We were in bondage to wickedness, disobedience, every one of these things here. And he, and he. Yeah, we're his. We belong to him. We don't belong to anybody else. We belong to him. Slaves and adopted sons. That sounds. But it's, it's both. You know, we get a good proper view of ourselves and we say, I'm a slave. I want to obey the Master. I'm a son of God. What privileges He's given me. Do you see the, the full spectrum of who we are because of what He's done? And I am proud to be called a slave of Christ. Um, and what does this chapter say to that? Christian, just by looking at this here, the believer is what? He two words sum it up. Trusts, obeys. You know that song, Trust and Obey? It says it all right there. And that's what Jesus said. 
you know, he hears my words okay. and abides in that word or obeys me. It's it's all about trusting him and then obeying because you know that trust is in all those promises and that's what this is really all about here. Verse thirty seven. It's abundant produce is for the kings. The the produce that's coming from the land, it's taxed. You only get so much and you gotta give the rest to the uh, whoever whom you have set over us you set that leader over us I think that's a pretty good lesson for us here God gives us the rulers and uh, Calvin said and we've been saying it for a long time I saw it where Calvin said it that God gives uh, the leaders we have is what we deserve and then he says, Whom you have set over us because of our sins. That's the reason. They also rule over our bodies. They have control of us. Complete control. And over our cattle, everything that we own, our sources that we have for food and everything. So we are in great distress. This is the prayer that comes from Ezra here. We are in great distress. And that's where God can do His greatest work. That's what He's always done. And whenever they are bowing here in their worship, that is where it starts. The funny thing is, in Nehemiah, it happens again because as we finish the chapter, we're going to see the people go back into their sin that they did before and rebel after they had this great worship. This is a repentant prayer, isn't it? And it's glorifying God. I, I think this is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible about the glory of God. There are many that are just like this, though. You look in the Psalms, it says the same story. And then we have, that's a negative verse to end on. But that is what God uses when people see and recognize their great distress. Then they recognize they do have the need. And now the gospel can come in and pour over as medicine into the wound. Verse 38. And here's where it is. This is about covenant. God is a faithful God to His covenant. And now Ezra and Nehemiah are representing the people before God and God to the people. And the covenant is there. And here's what they say. Now because of all this, of this terrible story as far as what man has done, but this great glorious story that God has put together, we are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. We are, we are agreeing. We're confessing. We're signing the document. We desire to follow God. All the leaders, and this is representing all the rest of the people. <laughs> what a highlight that is. Verse 38, right after verse 37, because of this, the great distress... They are in. There could be a reason for great fear for this nation right there, but yet they have seen the true God and His work, and they've seen it through historical aspects. And now here we are at that point. So this is real. What what was happening? They were in much greater distress than we are here in this country. I think this country is in distress. It's been stressed. But the thing that I want to put indelibly on on our minds as we get ready to leave here. Uh, as God bore with them for many years and admonished them, did you see the inexhaustible grace 
it never runs out. We don't understand that. We would eventually say, that's it. I am not taking any more. But he bring, this brings Ezra to the whole petition. He says, now that we have seen what kind of God you are, you help us again. And, and you think of that great verse. God, you are great. You are mighty. You are awesome. You are a covenant-keeping, loving, kindness God. Now because of all this, because of you being a great and awesome God, because of all that, we're making an agreement. You're awesome. Your grace is there. We just want to obey You and follow You. We don't come in our own strength. We can't do it in that. We are not sufficient in ourselves. We have nothing to offer there. We come mainly in our our own persons, each individual here, we come mainly, just like Ezra, because God is a great, awesome, covenant-keeping, loving God who will help us and He will show His love through His covenant and he says, trust me, obey me. Amen. Let's pray. Let's always stand and write in that next chapter. Sign this document. The whole official, but everybody signed this document. Thus we will not neglect the house of our God. How long does that last? Not too long. Not very long. That's sad. They, they had a very great resolve when they saw these wonderful things happen. But when they started living everyday life, it soon dissipated. You know, we worship on Sunday, and then Monday comes. Does it last seven days? I'm glad we get to re- get refreshed. <laughs> we can have all our high points here, but the thing is, it really happens out there. What are we living before the people? Yeah, boy, that. I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I am really convicted by that chapter. And I'm still in awe of His grace that's sufficient for everything. That's an amazing thing. Father, we thank You for Your great glory that You continue to put on display. You've done it for thousands of years. And here we sit here today reading just one of the greatest good news messages that we could possibly hear. Of course, everything that we touch and hear and read in Your Bible is just something awesome as it comes from Your mouth. Thank you for the promises and the blessings, the good news we have, and instruction that we have to be able to live this out when we hit the real world and the temptations and the, the trials and the hard-hitting things can come our way, that we'd be prepared when those things do happen. Thank you, Lord, for your great, great, awesome grace. And because of your Son's name, amen. Amen.